Tinakoto, Tinakoto, Tinakoto Katoa. It's great to have you here this morning, and uh, my privilege to be up in front of you all. So I've got a captive audience here, so you can run and hide. But yeah, just it's a fantastic to be able to celebrate in God's house today. And each and every one of you could have been at the beach or doing other things, but you've chosen to come and fellowship and worship together with us. And that's uh, yeah, that's just amazing, isn't it? And we know that churches all around our amazing country are meeting together, worshipping in different ways. And so this prayer, Waikato, prayer is really important, isn't it? And to pray for our region, Waikato, is uh, important. So if you're able to make that, that would be really, really good. Okay, as many of you all know, we're doing a series through February here called Aotearoa, Looking Back to Move Forward. And Pastor Ant started off with an amazing uh, message at the, around Waitangi Day on the Tiriti of Waitangi, the Treaty of Waitangi, the significance of that, how it was one of those iconic um, milestones in our formation as a nation, and it, it was very much signed with good intents on both sides at that point. So he covered that really, really well. Um, so please feel free to go back onto our YouTube channel. All the, our messages are actually on there for you to view later on. And I'd also like to um, let you know about our app. Many of you will know about the app. You go to um, either Play Store or Apple Store and so on and get the Elam app. And all the notes of our messages are on there. And at the end of this, I'm actually showing a, a five-minute video. The link, the YouTube link to that is on that app as well. So if you can follow along with the scriptures and what we're talking about from the front, the app is there for you to be connected with us. All right, so this morning, I just want to uh, share a little bit of insight further into this whole idea of moving forward to, uh, looking back to move forward, and how it ties into my own personal testimony, I guess, of where I've come from as, as a person, and a bigger picture of how we look at the whole thing about race and culture especially, which is a really big deal, isn't it, as you know? And one of the things I really celebrate with our church is we're very diverse generationally and culturally as well, isn't it? You know, I see a whole sea of people from little wee children up to older people, and again, a whole spectrum of different people, and that's the body of Christ, and I'm really blessed um, being part of it. Okay, so where does this take us to? So the whole thing about life, you know, they talk about the journey of life, and life is like a journey, isn't it? We start off and however long our earthly journey is, we move along. Often, as you know, if you've done any tramping or walking, there's lots of periods of just going along, not much happening, and suddenly you come across different vistas, different views that open up your understanding of perhaps the, the area you're walking in, but also in the journey of life, things that you can actually understand maybe you didn't see before. And that's certainly true of my own life. Now, many of you will know I'm keen on the outdoors, and my wife Desma, we like cycling and getting out there. Well, back in 2019... Incredibly, I had one of these um, middle-aged moments, and I'd, <laughs> I left work and took a year off, and my amazing wife, Desma, over the back there, she supported and encouraged me to go off and to find myself, you know, instead of buying a Harley-Davidson or something, I actually walked the length of the country, <laughs> as you do. Uh, and for me, it was 121 sleeps, just over four months to go from Cape Ring all the way down to Bluff, and it was an amazing time just to really see our beautiful nation, our country here, uh, geographically, you know, from beaches and farmland and... Queen Street in Auckland, um, high tussock alpine areas, whatever, river crossing after river crossing. We've got a beautiful nation, haven't we? A beautiful country here to enjoy. And it was my privilege to walk the length of it. And along the way, many times we go along, some days we just plod, 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 nothing much happening. But uh, one or two events really, really struck me. And this is one of the most significant ones I came across. So in the South Island, I'm not sure how well you know the South Island, uh, Lake Hawea, which is, yeah, okay, Lake Hawea, yeah, Wanaka and so on there. And so basically going south, because I was what you call a sobo, which is a southbound. You have no bows, which are northbound and southbound. Most people do north to south. That works out better for weather and so on. But So I was a sobo, and I was on the sort of last, I guess, third of my 
hike. And one particular place, people say, what was your best and what was your worst time? Well, I know what the worst time on the whole trip was. It was actually the trip from the upper Timaru River up to Stody's Hut, which is two kilometres, and took two hours to go up this, you know, crashing through brush and up this horrible, horrible slope. But when you get to the top, there's a little uh, shepherd's hut you stay in there. And then the next day, I started walking towards Lake Hawea. And here's the view, those 14 kilometres walking from Stody's Hut. Again, you know, great tussock country. You've got this sort of view, nothing much happening before you. Around the outside, you could see mountains, and it was nice. But going forward, there was nothing but just this relentless, it wasn't steep, it was just a slow, steady, gradual climb through really barren, tusky country. Okay, so that's something that is, you know, like life sometimes. We move along, and we end up with this idea, plod, 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 years, weeks, whatever, go past. And then suddenly, this was amazing. You come over the top of a hill, and within just a few steps, you go from that to that. And that's called Breast Hill, and you look down onto Lake Hawea below you, you've got Wanaka over there, and you've got the Southern Alps, Mount Aspiring, right round to Haas Pass on the west coast. It's just a stunning view. And you look down onto the lake, and it was a beautiful day. This was actually on uh, New Year's Eve in 2019, and so I stayed at the bottom there in the campground, and the very next day, we woke up, and there was this dull yellow milky light. Remember the bushfires? And so going from this to you couldn't even see the mountains around because of the smoke from Australia. So it was an iconic time. But for me, as I've gone through the life journey, I come across times spiritually and intellectually where I've been going along and suddenly God showed me something that was like, wow, I hadn't seen that before. And so I want to share a couple of examples of that through this talk of things that God's peeled away in my understanding, helped me to see things in a bigger picture. It's not that I was really wrong, but I was just narrow-minded or not understanding the big picture of things. So you would have heard me speak multiple times here, and we did it during our uh, You Asked For It series in January when I talked about did God use evolution. And this is really important to realize that our worldview, how we see the world, impacts on us, including this whole thing of race and culture, which I'll, I'll share about. And it comes back to these three big questions that we as human beings all have to ask at some point of ourselves. Maybe we deliberately go through step by step and you know, I think I believe this and that, or whether you push it aside, it's too hard to think about the meaning of life and all that. But the three really big questions in life are, number one is, where did I come from? And that's talking about the big picture of history that led up to us being here as human beings. Okay, so where did I come from? And secondly, the answer we get to the first one will affect how we see the second and third questions. The second one is, why am I actually here? You know, what's my purpose? What's my identity? What's life all about? What am I living for? What am I fearful of? <laughs> Okay, so why am I here is really, really important. And many young people are really struggling with this whole idea, aren't they? Who am I? What's my identity? What purpose is there? There's so much alarmism and fear and hopelessness being driven into our young people, which is tragic. But anyway, at the end of it, of course, the last question is, where am I actually going? Now, we live in a fallen world, and even myself, you know, I might have walked the country, but I'm getting a bit older. And, uh, but, you know, eventually, unless the Lord comes back beforehand, as he promised he will, if not, our bodies will get to the end of this physical road and we die, okay? So is that the end of the road? We just become uh, buried in the ground or ashes or whatever? Or is there something intrinsically beyond that for us as human beings, as spiritual beings? So these are really important questions, but the answers we actually choose to believe about those questions are what is really important. Okay, so we have different options, different answers given to us to these three big questions. The ones we believe and apply will affect how we live our life. So going back to the first question only, again, I, I, this is one of my standard creation ministry slides I have. We have two answers to the first question about where did we come from, the two main ones. 
in the secular world, you know, our education system, our popular media, we're told that you know, there's no God. Billions of years ago, we had a singularity exploded. We have hydrogen gas forming you know, stars and galaxies, and eventually hot molten blob cooled down around this proto-star, uh, Earth, and then it, co it cooled down, water and so on came from somewhere, atmosphere, and somehow life got started. And then over billions of years of uh, Darwinian, Darwinian evolution, here you are. Okay, that's one account. You're nothing special. You just really evolved hydrogen gas, uh, physics and chemistry over billions of years. It's no purpose, really, apart from what you make of it. And when you die, you just become cosmic stardust again. That's the standard story that we're taught in our secular media, isn't it? And many people, if they live consistently with that, they live in a sense of hopelessness and purposelessness, isn't it? So it's a big deal about this. And I'm not going to go into, you know, did God use this process to create? I've done that before, um, but he, he definitely didn't, okay? It's completely in uh, contrast to what the Bible says, our instruction book of life about what God did do. It talks about him creating the heavens and the earth and everything in it within six ordinary days. And on day six, he created our original great, 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 great ancestors, original tupuna, Adam and Eve, real people living at a real point in history. Okay, this is what the Bible says. And it also says that they were created in his image. So we're not animals. We may share the similar biology because we have to live and, and uh, so on on the earth and, and eat and so on. But we're not animals. We actually have a spiritual component to us. Okay, so we are basically not just evolved animals. We are uniquely made in God's image. And here we have Genesis 1.27 clearly says at the end of the creation, six days before God rested on the seventh day, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, it's, it's repeated again, God made us in his image, in his image we are created. That's a reinforcing. Male and female, that's his design for us, he created us in his image to love each other, to love our creator and to steward the world wisely. That's what the creation mandate is, all right? So if we live consistently with that, we believe that God is, loves us, we have absolute identity and hope, no matter what we look like, no matter where we were born, whatever our background is, how rich or poor we are, God loves us infinitely, okay? But we also have boundaries, we have accountability around our lives. We can't just do whatever we want if we believe that God is the creator. But if we just evolved you know, hydrogen gas, then well, why not? Just do whatever you want, get what you can during life. When you die, it's all gone, so... You see, people live consistently with that. We see two different outcomes in society, don't we? So it's actually about being spiritually transformed. That's how society changes, not by, you know, I mean, lots of good things are happening, but pushing money down from above doesn't fix the spiritual brokenness of people. That's where the gospel comes in, which is the good news. Okay, so we've talking about Aotearoa, this whole thing about race and culture. Who would agree that... Race and culture, I've got deliberately got an American-type picture here. You know, there's lots of from the, the, the racial issues in the States. But this really applies all around the world, don't we? We've had lots and lots of things happen. Even here in our amazing country, there's this tension between, you know, different, uh, I guess, cultures, races, and some people trying to amplify and to bring division, other ones trying to work through. But it's something we need to understand and deal with, isn't it? Culture and race are really important to all of us. How we live as a nation, how we deal with each other, how we work together. Um, it's really, really important topic. So how do we look at this from a point of view of the Bible and our relationship with God, who's our creator, creator of us all? So, of course, this whole thing about racism, you know, racism's a horrible thing. And right since, um, you know, Adam and Eve, all the people after that, everyone's been racist, haven't we? We've always had arguments against people. We've hated different people groups. There's been wars and fighting. So racism's nothing new. It's just part of our fallen nature, isn't it? But what's really amplified this racism idea in the last 200 years is this idea of um, Darwinian evolution, and I'll show you why. So this is something we need to deal with. It's actually the elephant in the room. When people look at these racist statements, 
It's interesting that when you often have a person of colour, as they say, so maybe on a sports field or whatever, on social media, they're often um, caricaturised as an ape or a monkey, you know, and that sort of thing. And here's an example of a, a popular, very talented sportsman in Australia called Eddie Betts. Now, he's of Aboriginal extraction. His, his heritage is Aboriginal, and he's a very talented player. You know, here he is. But he gets a lot of racial um, abuse and so on. But one of the games, somebody got up and threw a, a banana out into the thing, you know, chanting obscenities and so on at him, and they straight away, the throwing of a banana is immediately a racist statement, isn't it? People throw bananas, you mean, you mean one particular thing. And this is the whole idea, why does allusions to monkeys, apes and bananas, or people of colour, why is that a racist statement? Well, if we go back to evolution I talked about, the whole thing right through, evolution is actually now something that's like a, an acid, a universal acid that's eating into everything, our thinking right through our culture, our music, our politics, our, our sport, our art, everything is evolutionised now. It's just a, like an acid, like um, Daniel Dennett wrote a book called the, um, Darwin's Dangerous Idea, and he talks about this idea will just eat through society like an acid. Now, he's an atheist, but he was right. You know, this idea of thinking that we are evolved, that people evolve at different rates, different people groups evolve, you know, some are more civilised, some are not. This becomes something that permeates all of society, and it does affect how people see other people. So racism is amplified by this idea. Racism is not caused by evolutionary thinking, but it's amplified by it. So we have this gentleman here, Charles Darwin, back in 1859. He published his very uh, important and influential book called The Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection. Anyone heard of that? Okay, it's actually the, the Bible for the um, you know, atheists and so on. This is the thing. How we came to be, this is the original outline of the thoughts that he had back then. Now, we know now from science that he didn't have the science we have today, but this idea was very, very influential, especially during the Victorian era of the 1800s. You see the subtitle there is actually for the preservation of favoured races in the struggle for life. Now, I have to emphasise Darwin didn't intend directly or singling out only people. He talked about all the races, all the different kinds of biology, you know, from plants and animals and so on, but many people latched onto that and thought, the preservation of favoured races... Ah, some races are more favoured, see? So they took that on board, and that then amplified this idea of racism. And we just see the fruit of this idea being worked out. People took it and uh, used it, misused it in some ways, to cause some horrible, horrible things to happen. Now, we talk about the, the treaty here, which is an amazing document between two um, sovereign people working together. That was the intent of it. And that's unique, really, around the world. First Nation people didn't have it quite work out as well here. Now, this is not perfect. We know that it's not perfect in the treaty or our working of it, but very, very different to other nations, particularly Australia. This is, oops, it's this idea of, um, you know, this darker people, you know, apes and so on evolving over time to lighter uh, skinned, more upright European type people. This was an iconic view that really, really amplified this idea, wasn't it? And so if, if you've got darker skin, you must be less evolved. You're closer to our ape ancestors. And the more you are like an English or German gentleman, the more evolved you are. So this was the thinking back in the Victorian era, wasn't it? And that amplified the whole thing about people groups who were darker or whatever were seen to be more close to the original ancestors, therefore they should be studied as subhumans in some cases. And so I talked about Australia, and we see that outworking, which is absolutely horrible, isn't it? It was actually legal for a period of time to hunt Aboriginal people as subhuman specimens to take them back to Europe for the um, museum displays to raid graves and that sort of thing. You know, that, you know, here are our brothers and sisters chained up and um, you know, killed for 
study. You know, this was the thinking that you know, people, they are less evolved, therefore they are not human. But of course, many, many missionaries said that these are our brothers and sisters. They are made in God's image. That's where that, uh, I'll talk about that later. So yes, ideas have consequences, don't they? Tragic consequences. Now, I'm not saying Dar Darwin was actually you know, a nice guy. He didn't want to offend people, and he was actually anti-racist, sorry, anti-slavery. But he was actually, he, did, he was racist, and he also believed that women, for example, were less evolved because their brains are smaller, you see? So he had these ideas, but he knew what the consequences of his ideas would be. And we saw that outwork into Nazism and all the racism right through the 20th century. So it's a big deal how it's really affected our society. And tragically, unbelievable, only four years ago, the Bronx Zoo apologised for putting a man, an African gentleman, into the monkey house in 1906. So it took over 100 years to get around to apologising for that. Why? Obviously, it's blatantly racist, and, and, but because it's, it was done for evolutionary reasons, that's the big, you know, to actually admit that evolutionary thinking caused an African person to be taken from Africa and put into a monkey house in a zoo in the Bronx. Um, that's what happened. And here's back in 1904... Uh, Samuel Verner was talking about Otobenga, who was a married man, he had children, but he was stolen from Africa and put into this monkey house and exhibited around the United States, supposedly a civilised nation then. And uh, Samuel Verner said about Otobenga and his, his people, are they men or are they the highest apes? You see, are they how long the spectrum between monkeys and uh, ape-like ancestors and humans are they? Who or what were their ancestors? And what are their ethnic relations to the other races of men? You see, so from an evolutionary science point of view, he tried to work out, is this uh, character some uh, subhuman, an uh, ape-man or not? You see, that was the thinking only just over 100 years ago. All right, so taking it back to, to myself personally now, um, now I'm obviously a little bit older than some of you people here, not the oldest, but yes, I am the older. But all of us started at some point, didn't we? I started my journey way, way back. Here, this is my, how my journey of life started. Way back in 1961, I was born in that farmhouse on the edge of Dartmoor in England and um, came to New Zealand when I was five years old. But for me and my being brought up, mum and dad, you know, they loved the Lord. They were definitely not um, boxed in, but that English heritage still affected how I saw the world. You know, the, the click of the cricket bat and the thatched houses and the chocolate box pictures of the little villages, you know, very white middle class, um, you know, rustic and so on. That was the idea I brought to New Zealand and I, during my upbringing in Nelson. So I was brought up in the Nelson area, which back then was still was very sort of middle class, Pākehā, you know, pretty white. But we had Māori uh, kids at school, we had Chinese and other ones, but they were, you know, we were friends with them, but they were really almost invisible to me. I just, you know, I didn't really care. I didn't really think much about culture. They were a bit different, but who cares, you know? So for me, it wasn't a big deal, but they were almost, as I said, invisible to me. I very much had a box of this Pākehā, Pākehā view of people. And, of course, in 1985, I came to live in the Waikato. And, of course, we're a little more uh, Māori-centric here. There's a lot more people. And so my pronunciation had to be helped on how I pronounce, pronounce certain um, place names. Like uh, Wainaro, I, I called call it Wainaro, didn't I, my love? Yeah, and she had to help me with my... <laughs> so I was very, I was very um, you know, white in my, my whole understanding. But yeah, so for me, over the time, the Lord's really unrolled some of these ideas I had. That was just my upbringing. I'm not I'm criticizing it or saying that's the way, it, you know, it couldn't have been any other way. That's the way it was. But in 1991, Desmond and I, she was actually pregnant with Justin, and she was uh, pretty close to being, him being born, so I remember that. And PJ's done it, and so on. There was a, a very 
and, and Yelta and anyone else on the Perspectives on the World Christian Movement? Yes? Mike and Linda here. So it's a really amazing, big picture uh, view of world missions. It's really, really encouraging, even though it's sort of 30 years old. It's a very powerful, pitch, big picture of how culture and missions work together. And as we went through this, we saw various um, scriptures and we tied it into our own cultures and so on, how we work through this idea of race and culture. And one of the key scriptures in this whole course is Ecclesiastes 3.11. It's talking about God, the supreme creator God. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. So God is transcendent, but he has also put a knowledge of him himself into our hearts. Because we're spiritual beings made in God's image, whether you're the most hardened atheist or whatever, we all deep down have that knowledge that God is real, even if we suppress that or try to deny it. And so every people group has a knowledge of the one true God somewhere in their history, their heritage, and in their spirit. And if we move forward to the New Testament now, here's Paul uh, in Athens speaking to the, the guys on Mars Hill, and he's talking about this big picture. Because they didn't understand about Jesus, you know, the whole thing about the resurrection, they thought, he's talking about some weird myths, you know, he's babbling, what's this about? So he went back to creation, he talked about this God whom you worship uh, as the unknown God, let me tell you about him. He talks about this whole idea of we are one human family from one creator God. And in Acts 17, verse 26 and 27, he says, and he is made from one blood, in other words, from Adam and Eve, one original ancestor, we're all descendants of that. He's made one blood, every nation of men or nation of people to dwell on all the face of the earth. And he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. So empires rise, empires fall, and so on. God, he directs that he has that big picture of where we should live and how our culture develops. You know, it's one of those things that he is in control of. He understands and he is celebrated. He's, um, the key thing is that people should actually seek the Lord. Okay, we have that spiritual magnet drawing us towards it. The Holy Spirit draws us towards a relationship with our Creator in the hope that we might grope to, towards God and find Him, even though He is not far from each one of us. Okay, so it, we all have that spiritual desire to have that spiritual vacuum filled, and that's really God has put that emptiness in our heart that only He can fulfill. Okay, so every person, we are closely related, and every person has a sense of God because we are made in His image. That's what Scripture says. Okay, so talked about uh, culture. So this whole thing of culture, one of the understandings I got from perspectives was about culture. So we have race and culture. They are related, but they're also different. But perspectives very clearly talked about culture. We all have a culture, don't we? How we, our language, our music, our worldview, what we believe about nature, what we, uh, our food, our music, our art, all these things form our culture. So each of us is unique in our upbringing, how we see the world, and how we express our culture is beautiful. You know, we're all different. We're not all cardboard cutouts. But one of the things I learned uh, in perspective was that all cultures, my own, yours, every culture in the world, we have aspects of our history and our giftings that are positive and are God, uh, basically God-ordained. They are a blessing, aren't they? Things that God's put into our lives, the way we celebrate family or celebrate uh, whatever it is, we do things in a way that honors God. We should appreciate and celebrate those differences that are godly, in alignment with the scriptures, and are uplifting. But every culture also has things that are negative, are anti-God, and can be a curse if we allow it to eat away at us and define us. Okay, so we need to repent of those and deal with them. So thinking about our Kiwi culture here, I'm talking about our sort of 
iconic Kiwi number eight wire type idea. So New Zealanders, Kiwis are known as being pioneers, innovators, you know, number eight wire technology. We can make anything, fix anything, go anywhere. We're very easygoing. We'll fit into teams all around the world. We're going, whatever it is, Kiwis are seen as very easy to get along with people, very adaptable, and that's a positive thing, isn't it? You know, we are very resilient, we're independent, we're pioneering. That's a positive side of the Kiwi uh, culture, I guess. But on the negative side, there's the apathy. She'll be right, you know, shrug, I don't care. And we're, in some ways, we're slightly self-deprecating, aren't we? Like Australia, they're very proud to be Australian. Here we're you know, a little bit cringeworthy, you know, the, the accent's a bit funny or something. So we have that idea of being, we're not really that special in some ways. But we also have a tall poppy syndrome. So if somebody starts to rise up and do really well, who do they think they are? You know, we cut them off. And so they are negative sides of our culture that we need to repent of. And for me personally, I, as I mentioned, I was brought up in England, and I really don't think, I've, I've never hated other people of other races and cultures, but I do remember in the perspectives course, we were um, encouraged just to pray and look at our own culture, our background, how we saw certain things. And I suddenly, the Lord spoke to me and said, because I'd seen on TV and so on about, you know, over the years, there's been um, people from the Caribbean, uh, East, uh, South Asian people like Pakistanis and Indians going to England. And I see pictures of London, and you see these darker colour people walking down the streets of England or out in the country. I thought, they don't sort of belong in my country. You know, the whole thing of, I had this very white picture of how England should be. I didn't dislike them, but they just didn't belong in, in my, the country I sort of held uh, dear, you see. So God tapped me on the shoulder and said, that arrogance you've got to deal with. So I really repented of that and said, I'm sorry, Lord. And I suddenly saw that people, they were, you know, just like me, you know, fellow human beings made in God's image, Yes, they may be not in their original place, but we are all immigrants. I'm an immigrant. You know, Mum and Dad turned up with four children, 12 pounds, and, and Nelson, you know, we started off. We're, we come in on the walker, a VC-10 as it was. Yes, see, so all of us are immigrants, aren't we? And so God really dealt with that, and I needed to repent of that arrogance I had. So, so let's have a quick look at this whole thing about race. I've talked about culture. What about race? Now, I'm a Pākehā. I'm Pākehā of Pākehās, I guess. I'm pretty a white sort of English guy, Kiwi. Um, although I've lived most of my life in New Zealand, I've got uh, UK nationality and New Zealand citizenship. So I got, became a citizen when I was a teenager. So I, I am legit, I'm not going to get deported. <laughs> um, but yeah, so if I look at my skin colour, okay, am I actually white? People say I'm a white because I'm Pākehā, but no, this is, I've done this before, but this is actually white. See, I'm, I'm not really white, am I? Sorry, Lyle, Lyle actually, by the way, Lyle's driving... <laughs> Lyle's driving the stream from his home at the moment, so let's free pray for him. He's recovering from COVID, but he saved me having to drive it there and speak at the same time. Yeah. See, so I'm not actually white. I'm just of a pale brown, aren't I? And we look around and I see some people have got more, more melanin in their skin than I have. We all have the same skin colour. Some have more melanin, some have less. Okay, so we're amazingly closely related. So if you're very, very blonde and blue-eyed, you're actually at one end of the spectrum, and if you're very, very dark then you're at the other. Most people in the world are medium brown, you know, like, as we see around here, lots of medium brown people. So yes, we're not actually black and white. We're all just different shades of the same skin colour. Now I've actually got this little tract here which I um, really encourage you to take away, please. It's called Two-Tone Twins. It's from Creation Ministries. And talks about these two beautiful young girls that were born in 2005, so they're, they're adults now. But here they are, fraternal twins, same mum and dad, how do you get a black and a white child and, you know, as twins? That's bizarre, isn't it? But why should we be surprised genetically and biblically? 
That's exactly what you get. It's very, very possible to have skin color being expressed in different ways from a genetically rich ancestry in one generation. And here they are with their parents, you see? Their parents are medium brown, genetically rich, and yeah, it just happens those two beautiful girls express the genes expressed in those two skin colors at the same time. It's basically basic genetics. We should not be surprised at all. So Adam and Eve were not blue-eyed Europeans like some pictures drawn. They would have been medium brown, dark brown hair, blue eyes, genetically rich to be able to be expressed into all the people we have today as their descendants. Okay, so just finishing this whole thing about race. Going back to the Bible, which is a history book, it contains a huge amount of history, especially Genesis. So we go back to our our people groups. Here we have our whakapapa, our family tree, which I really think is a wonderful thing with our Māori and Pacifica people. They're very, very strong on the whole thing of whakapapa going back. You know, ancestry is important, isn't it, knowing who you are? Well, the Bible gives us an account right back to Adam and Eve, real people living at a real point in history. So here we have two people supernaturally created, and they then had children who multiplied, had more children, and eventually we had the bottleneck of the ark uh, with the Noah's flood. Everybody in the world died except for eight people on the ark. So we end up with a, a very, very tight bottleneck. And after the, the flood, they started to spread out, but it didn't go very far. They went to Babel, decided, we like this place. We're going to set up a tower and be like God. We're going to make a tower and a name for ourselves. But God said, no, no, I told you to spread out and to populate the world and to steward it and to look after it. Here you are staying in one place, and you think you're God. So he basically divided their, Scripture talks about, divided their languages up so they couldn't understand each other. So they started to move away, taking with them a subset of the genes that they'd inherited and also along family lines. And Genesis talks about the table of nations, how they spread out from Babel and then formed the ancestry of all our different people groups. And over time, natural selection amplifies those traits that you've got within your genes to give you an advantage in certain areas. So it's not evolution, it's actually just selecting what's already there to give you like darker skin in hot countries, you've got better skin protection, you're going to do better. You're not going to get skin cancer and so on as easily. If you have very light skin, you're going to have an advantage in, say, Scandinavia or uh, Northern Europe where the sun's a lot weaker, you're going to end up with vitamin D issues if you don't have, if you have too much melanin, you see? So natural selection does amplify different traits. And so we see around here, it's just simple genetics and we're very, very closely related. So the differences we see are very, very minor genetically. Okay, so it's not evolution, it is natural selection. And this tract here covers that beautifully about what's there. Okay, so I just want to um, move on to one thing. I talked about the whole thing, the history. One of the things about the gospel is that God uses different people at different times right through history, doesn't he? And if we look at history, who's heard of Les Miserables? You know, the French Revolution, it's an amazing book and play and so on, isn't it? Everyone knows that, you know, the heroism, vive la France, and all that sort of thing. But the French Revolution was an incredibly horrible time of bloodthirsty, a guillotining of people, violence, uprising, insurrection. Uh, you've only got to listen to the Marseillaise, the French um, uh, national anthem. Now, if you look at the English translation of it, it's obviously very um, strong, but it's also very bloodthirsty, talking about the blood running in the furrows and they should kill our children and so on. It's a horrible uh, contrast to our beautiful... Um, you know, national anthem here, God Defend New Zealand. Now, I love France, I love the French people, but the national anthem is really came out of what's called the French Revolution. And that was an amazingly violent time in the late 1700s. So here we have England and France separated just by the English Channel, only about uh, you know, 30 kilometres across. While France was descending into absolute chaos, England was just on that tipping point of going the same way. You had 
huge class injustice. There was lots of lots of poor people, lots and lots of very rich people. There was a lot going on, and England was just about to go the same way. But then God raised up a number of godly preachers who started to preach the gospel. And we had this amazing, the great revival swept across the UK. Thousands came to the Lord. You know, societies were transformed. And it was just an amazing time of renewal. And uh, slavery was abolished through William Wilberforce, a a praying Bible-believing Christian. Many, many people worked to bring about good in that amazing country. But also what happened was there was a huge global missions push. You know, thousands of people gave everything up to go out from England, to go to Africa, to go to Asia, to go to the Pacific, to go to North America, all around the world. The London Missionary Society and others pushed out, reaching out with the gospel to other people. Were they perfect? No, they made mistakes, but they went with a total heart that every people group were made in God's image and were worthy of hearing the gospel. And many of them would pack their belongings in a a coffin because they knew they'd never come back because of the disease and the deprivation they had. So Michael and Linda, you know about missions, don't you? And many of you have been involved in missions. You know what a sacrifice, even today, it's still a cost. And we've got Glenn and Nomi. They, they represent our church. They're with OMS in Hungary. And they've given up a lot to go there. So missions takes a cost, but it's so worth it, isn't it? So you imagine all these thousands of people going out around the world. Well, here we are in the bottom of the world in the Pacific. And... Of course, uh, Anson Poru, our amazing senior pastor today of Cook Island descendants, and so that was one of the areas that was transformed. You know, Jason and Sia, I think many of you here who are Pacifica or Māori have this heritage going back to those mission endeavours back in the 1820s and 30s. But we were really touched, again, one of these exp- uh, ideas that I had that really touched me and Desmond and our daughter Imogen went to Rarotonga in 2010. And one of the things we did there, we went to the Cook Island Christian Church. Here it is, the Ecclesia Arangi in Rarotonga, a beautiful, uplifting service. You know, a cappella, all the ladies in their dresses and the hats and the men in their suits, and just worshipping God in Cook Island Māori. And for us, it was just such a reverential, humbling time. But there's also a lot of tourists there, you know, often in board shorts and jandals, just not, not really showing any respect. But at the end, though, the pastor said, look, come on out. Thank you for coming. Come and enjoy some hospitality with us. We'd love to just share some island hospitality. So rather than just uh, two ginger nuts and a cup of tea, we go out there and there's the marquee groaning with food, you know, like the Pacifica people do. But I still remember this to this day. You know, the pastor said, look, thank you for coming. I'd just like to say a couple of words. He said, before 1823, when the London Missionary Society came to our beautiful islands, he said we were in a very dark place. You know, we were into slavery, warfare, cannibalism, fear of the spirits. He said we were just locked down. It was a dark, dark time. He said, but the gospel of Jesus Christ set our people free. And you see the tourists, they're shuffling feet. This is not the story we heard. We thought it was a beautiful island paradise destroyed by colonism. But no, you said the gospel transformed us. And you said, thank you, Lord, and to celebrate the food. And for me, that really touched. Here's a, you know, a person whose heritage has been changed by the gospel. And of course, what's happened here, isn't it? The whole amazing move that last week, um, Elliot talked about Octavius Hadfield and other missionaries who sold up everything them to come and serve the Māori people, to learn their language, and to just to celebrate the gospel with them. And they then went like wildfire through with Māori, evangelising Māori. But one other thing too, I really got touched recently on, I don't know if you heard of Mapuna on national radio with Julian Wilcox. It's a, yeah, it's a, a Māori thing on Saturday mornings. But I remember him interviewing this lovely Komato. I can't remember when it was or what his name was. But what really touched me was he was just sharing, he said, um, you know, the, the missionaries brought us a lot of stuff. He said, obviously, the gospel of Jesus. Here on national radio, saying this lovely komatua, saying the gospel of Jesus transformed our people. But he said they also brought the written word. He said, we're a proudly oral people. 
we've got amazing things. We said the written word suddenly transformed our culture. We're able to share, write down our thoughts and our history and share it with the world. You know, and he said the written word was a gift that the missionaries bought. They're like, wow, you know, I hadn't thought of that. It's just, again, and they just, Maori people just absorbed it, learned so quickly, and the written word has meant that the, the whole culture can be spread much more easily through written word rather than just spoken word. So yeah, that was amazing hearing that from this lovely old guy speaking on radio. All right, so for me, this transformation has been amazing. Every people group is touched by the gospel. So I've got a five-minute video just to close up with, and I just want to share this whole thing. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for we're all one in Christ Jesus. Now, obviously, I'm you know, a Pakeha sort of guy, but this next guest speaker I've got, five minutes, a guy called Eric George. He is Maori and Pacifica heritage, and he's a powerful speaker. He just talks about this idea, you know, is Christianity just a white man's religion? You know, it's been an import that's come in, uh, but no, he actually has a very, very interesting take which really sums up what I'm sharing today, that Christianity is not just a white man's religion. It's for all people across all of time. So thanks, Adam. If you can put that up, then I'll close at the end. Kia ora katoa, falava, and greetings to you all. There is an important proverb from one of my iwi in Ateawa. It goes like this. Simply put, it means this, sweet words above, but meddling below. This saying reflects a cautious attitude, to not be hoodwinked by sweet words, but to look at the reality of the way things are, to look at the truth. Now with that in mind, I am proud to be an indigenous person, I love my culture, I love my people, and I'm also proud to be Christian. But I'm starting to see a trend of negative reactions among my unbelieving friends and family when I say I'm proud to be a Christian, as if somehow being indigenous means I can't also be a Christian. You see, when I introduce myself as an indigenous person of the Christian faith on my travels to Hui and Funo around the country, the reaction I often get casually thrown back to me in disgust is, Christian? Christianity's just a white man's religion. In fact, I hear this comment so frequently that it could be easily taken as true. You see, what this statement does is it wrongly attempts to connect Christianity exclusively to one race or ethnicity, dangerously characterizing Christianity as some type of non-relevant monocultural religion, making Christianity out to be a closed-off, unwelcoming faith. But is this true? No, it's not. In fact, this comment, this misconception is dead wrong. But don't take my word for it. I'm not here to speak sweet words. I'm here to deliver the truth. What is the truth then about this issue? Is Christianity just the white man's religion? To answer this question, we need to look to history. We need to look at the origins of Christianity. Number one, where did Christianity originate? And number two, who started Christianity? Christianity is actually an Eastern religion. It was founded in the Middle East, in the Levant, in Israel. It was founded by Jesus of Nazareth, a first century Mizrahi Jew, an indigenous person. We're not talking about London or Paris, no, we're talking about Jerusalem. Christianity is not a faith exclusively claimed by one race, no. It's a faith for all people, for all times, for all places. Christianity is a faith open to all, regardless of culture, language or background. 
In fact, if we look at history, we see that from the very onset, from the very beginning, Christianity was and still is a multicultural religion. How do we know this? Again, let's start with the facts. Let's first look at the Holy Bible, the very book that the Christian faith holds at its core. The Holy Bible is itself a testament to multiculturalism. The Holy Bible was written in three distinct languages, Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek. The Holy Bible was written on three different continents, the Middle East, Africa, and Europe. Christianity is a multicultural religion. Now let's look at the geography and demographics of the Christian faith. The highest concentration of Christians per location, the center of Christianity, has changed over time. This shows the multicultural, not monocultural, relevancy of the Christian faith. First, the Middle East, then Europe, then America, and now there are now more Christians in Asia and Africa than in the Middle East where Christianity began. And some of the fastest growing rate of Christians are found in countries like China. So much for Christianity just being a white man's religion. You see, when we look at history objectively, when we look at Christianity without any biases or misconceptions, we see that the words of the Apostle Paul are true now as they were 2,000 years ago. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's the reality. That's the truth. Tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa, whaftai lava, and thank you very much. I'm Eric George for Thinking Matters. If you enjoyed this video, please support us so we can make more just like it. Visit support.thinkingmatters.org.nz And while you're there, check out our other resources and upcoming events. It's amazing, isn't it? I couldn't have said it better myself, certainly, but yeah, it's powerful. So again, as I mentioned on our app, and I think on the e-news, we can also make sure that link to that video is for you to view and to share. I think it's really, really powerful for us in this day and time, isn't it? to understand the power of the gospel to transform all people. So in closing, of course, it talks about this whole thing about all people across all time. And Revelation chapter um, 7, 9, and 10, this beautiful picture of every people group, every nation, every tribe, and every tongue standing before the throne, worshipping the Lord together, isn't it? Now, not all become carbon copies of each other. We are unique in our culture. So... In closing, and thank you for your time, it's gone on a little bit longer, but it's uh, important to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all people across all of time. And I'm not sure where you are on this whole journey of relationship with Jesus, whether you've walked with him for decades, whether you're perhaps still exploring this whole idea, who is this God, what's this Jesus thing all about? Really encourage you to think about it, pray about it. If you like to dedicate your life to him, give your life to him, we'd love to hear about that through the one card. To fill that out, pop it into the box and... We'd love to connect with you, disciple you, and, and pray for you. So just put on there, I'm committing my life to the Lord, or I'm recommitting. And we'd love to give you a Bible as well. This is the Word of God, uh, the Instruction Book of Life. So that will help you on your journey towards a deep relationship with Him. And of course, come and see me if you'd like any of these. I'll put them on the table uh, over there. Love to share those with you as well. So thank you for your time. Pass it back to Jason. And enjoy some fellowship and be encouraged. And thank you for your attendance today.